Welcome to Fur What It's Worth, an introduction to and exploration of the furry phantom. This show has been engineered for maximum pleasure, but please do not place the speakers or headphone there. Hey, I said no! Bad! Great, now you have ruined dogs and... Never mind. Welcome! It's been such a long time. Yay, we're back. Woo, that was such a terrible opening, but we are here. We are here. I thought the opening was great because I know what it said. You haven't heard it because of technical reasons, but it's a good opening. (laughs) Google never lets me down. No, I was talking about me, not Fire Breath. Fire Breath is always amazing. You know that. Oh. Um, (laughs) So it's season seven, episode three, the mega... Um, the Mega Blocks of Success. And this is my <laughs> host, Tugs. Hi, and that's Rue. Yes, and I'm Rue. I'm the crazy one of the group. I have to I have to point out, since everyone is wondering, yes, we are in separate studios doing this. And it's really weird because I'm just looking at a camera and I'm like, I'm just imagining your face. Your, I'm your sorry. Face. <laughs> no one wants to imagine it, my face. It's a very charming face. Oh, but you know what, Tugs? It is an amazing face. So amazing you know, I hope flattery gets me everywhere. <laughs> so, what have you been? What have you been up to, Mister Tugs? Uh, okay, so I talked about it a little bit, I think, with Nuka, but not with you. We haven't recorded together in a couple of months just because of stuff. I, I I moved, and I I like I like Seattle a lot. I like the trees outside. I like that fall is more than a week long. First of all, like fall in Utah is like two weeks, and then it's winter. It's really dumb. <laughs> it's going to be winter here until about May, so get used to it. I'm fine with that uh, because there's not. It snowed once, but it's not like snowing in Salt Lake. The other thing I really like is I like it when it's foggy and you see the trees peeking through the fog, like those pictures you always see. I think it's amazing. Um, I haven't gone out and been terribly social just because of job hunting and you know being kind to the purse that is paying for my gas. But uh, overall, I like it. We've got we've got good people. Um, and the one thing I've heard about is the Seattle freeze, right? So I don't know if it exists outside of furry, but there's like cliques and they don't talk to each other. Unfortunately, it's probably more true than, than it deserves to be. But, oh, well, you can't show up late to the party and complain, I guess. You just got to work to have a good party. Sorry, what did you say? The Seattle freeze? Yeah, so there's there's a lot of cliques. And uh-huh. those cliques don't like, like what in Salt Lake, you typically, unless you're me, because you don't go to the fur meets there. Uh, you show up and someone will reach out and go, hey, you're a furry, welcome, blah, blah, blah. None of that happens here. It's like, uh, unless you know somebody in that group, you're not going to get invited out or anything. Like, there's no outreach. And so you get frozen out. I think it's kind of a factor of size. Oh. There are, there are, oh, okay. Yeah. So that's what the Seattle freeze is. Yeah, you, sorry, Haku. You kind of have to know somebody. A factor of size? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a factor of size just because there's, there's probably more within this metropolitan area than probably a lot of other places in the country. That and the fact that public transit here is total crap. Uh, yeah, it's, if you're it's, out, a, it's a pain to get around. Yeah, if you're outside of basically immediate Seattle, it is crap. Yeah, yeah it is. Like the so in Salt Lake, they have the commuter rail train front runner, and it runs at least once an hour all the time, right? And they run it more during commute times. Here, they have the Sounder train, and that only runs one way in the morning into town for three or four hours, and then one way going out of town for three or four hours. It doesn't run any other time. So, anyone who wants to go into town. Can't just ride the train to town, and you have to deal with traffic. And the freeways here are small, so it's kind of a pain. Well, uh, fortunately, uh, with this last election, they actually uh, approved a tax hike. We added a tax hike to ourselves on gas. 
Yeah. Uh, so over the next about 20 years or so, we're going to add a lot of rail, even up here, I so believe. So Tugs, yeah. who's this that, um, that's here with you? Uh, well, I guess we'll, we'll introduce him before potty break. So our, the guest here in studio is Haku. He's been on before. If you remember him from the first BabsCon episode, the FA security, I can't remember what the official topic title was, episode, and were you on anything else? Uh, I, I think I was on a guest episode at one of the RFs. Yeah, 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 yeah. you were. Yeah, you were You were God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is the voice of God. <laughs> <laughs> I was really tired that morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, welcome. Welcome. I'm Thank glad you. that you were able to to come on the show so how is um i have a, another question for mr tugs how has odyssey been uh it's been good it's been good i i thought it was i wanted it to be a little more challenging but once you beat the game it unlocks like the the real challenge stuff to the point where it's like i think i'm gonna come back and do that later so i don't break my controller <laughs> uh, which is good i just feel like the main game i i get it they made it a little a little less difficult because or something uh, but then they brought back the classic difficulty, and that was a real pain. What have you been up to? So I have been. I, this month has been just amazing as far as you know video game content that's came out. Um, let's see, we have the fractured butthole, like that is absolutely amazing. Um, my favorite character in there is Captain Diabetes. <laughs> Do you remember what it was like when you didn't have diabetes? Ah, I do remember. Um, what what, what was, was it like, like compared to now? Um, I could actually have sugar without having like problems. <laughs> gotcha. Not having to take medication every day. Uh-huh. Yeah, stuff like that. But what's funny is Captain Diabetes' power is he'll eat like lots of sugar and then give himself insulin shots, and then he becomes the Incredible Hulk and beats everything up. So. <laughs> <laughs> what else besides games have you been up to? Um, you know, just, you know, working, <laughs> trying to stay sane. Um, one of my, uh, my boss ended up, um, leaving for the week and it's just been crazy. So I'm glad that I'm here recording the show, not having to worry about work. So yeah, I mean, it just not much has been going on lately, unfortunately. Cool. So. Sweet. Well. I think it's time for your cookie. So, do you have it ready? I do. All right. Well, here it is. So, today's cookie is Innocence and Time. Once lost can never be regained in bed with a cookie. Mm. Innocence and Time. Yeah, Innocence and Time. Once lost can never be. Why the regained. hell are you doing this? Like, I, it's daylight savings time just ended. I'm tired. Haku's tired. I'm sure you're tired. And you're reading like deep, profound shit. What is wrong with you? That's <laughs> not how we do this. Why uh, is it? Why is it time? Like, I mean, never mind. Never mind. You do it when like people are awake, not when it's like. Mm. Well, you guys had an extra hour of sleep. There's so no did excuse. You. That means we all just stayed up an hour later. Come on, don't don't joke. I didn't stay up an hour later. I went to bed. <laughs> With a cookie. Yeah. <laughs> the end. All right. <laughs> 
And welcome back from Potty Break. I still don't... How do we get the name Potty Break? I have no clue. I think we it's just because it's a know, short break. About, uh, we just talked about, you know, people, what they're going to be doing, like, during our breaks. And, and we figure that most people are just taking a shit as they're listening to our show. Oh, at the, at the potty party. That's right. I don't remember. You remember the potty party. Anyway, so... We are going to talk today about something that we have actually had on the hopper for many, many seasons, but we just, the reality is Haku has never been physically available to do this recording until today. <laughs> <laughs> so we do have a guest, like we uh, sort of hint, sort of introduced you in the first episode, but uh, our guest is Haku. Tell us about yourself, your persona, the details you care to share about it, etc. Uh, I am a uh, 35-year-old uh, male from <laughs> Seattle. Um What's your I, blood type and your mother's maiden name, sir? Uh, well, my social security number is now. Um, <laughs> my uh, uh, I'm a panther, black and white panther, spots, giant cat. Uh, occasionally masquerade as a as a black and red husky too. Occasionally, um, been in the fandom since a long time now. Uh, ten years? Like, what? Ten years? Yeah, yeah about ten years now. Um, I, I I can sort of remember the fandom before you, but not very clearly. Uh, the fandom was a dark place before me. I feel I really lightened up the place. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, everything is is roses and you sunshine. Had a spotlight. <laughs> I, I I'm the one that started the great spots versus stripe war in the fandom. Like I don't get credit for that anymore. But when everyone stripes versus spots, that was actually me. I deserve all the attention and and praise for for inventing that controversy. Nice. Um, <laughs> but now I've been uh, you know I go to you know three or four cons a year. Uh, West Coast, Seattle. Um, into coding and video games and kind of the typical furry stuff that everybody else is into as well. So, um, <laughs> what, what craziness caused you to join the furry fandom? Uh, you know, it was, it, it was kind of like, I had a friend I just knew through Yu-Gi-Oh circles. That was kind of my fandom before this. I shamefully admit I was, it was in Yu-Gi-Oh circles and I had a Yu-Gi-Oh friend that was, you know, I played with a lot and he, we were, we were pretty competitive. I wouldn't say I was ever good, but I tried to be. And, um, he was like, oh, I'm, I'm in this other IRC chat on this one network. And I'm, I'm like, oh, I'll go and join you. And, you know, I started talking Yu-Gi-Oh with what turned out to be furries. And for about the first three months, I refused to get a fursona, but I would sit in these furry chat room, this furry chat room in SoCal, just, just being human. And then, you know, that never works out. And I was like, fine, I'll, I'll be a cat. And then, you know, I couldn't figure out what cat, so I just became a generic panther, you know, just a generic large cat. And, you know, once you go down the rabbit hole of the literal rabbit hole, it's, it's hard to turn <laughs> back around. It was just everybody was too cute and really nice, and it was really fun, and furries know how to party and be social and that kind of stuff. is a really welcoming atmosphere, and it was a lot better of a social group for me than the Yu-Gi-Oh! social group was for me, you know? So. so what are some of the things that you give to the community? What are some of the things that you do within the furry fandom? Well, for a long time, I had, I, I've, I've wanted to, to give back, and I felt like I wasn't. Like, I'd see these great artists doing stuff, but I'm not a great artist, and I would see, see just lots of people giving back, and I didn't feel I had anything like that to give. But then, then as I started, you know, being in the fandom a little bit longer, I realized I'm, I'm, you know, the fandom on average is about 10 years younger than me, it seems. And then I've, I've noticed that, that 
the the younger fandom ha- is still you know you're when you're 25 and under you know you're getting out of college you're starting to figure stuff out getting out of high school starting to figure stuff out i noticed that people were going through a lot of struggles i was and then i was like okay here i am a little bit older you know i can maybe help guide some of my friends who are who are having these troubles trying to get their life together because it's stuff that i went through so i felt that was an opportunity where i can just be like the old wise guy and be like, you know, I went through college troubles. I went through high school troubles. I went through trouble finding a job. And, you know, so I've, I started focusing on that. And whenever I see any of my close friends, you know, with any issues, I try to, to try to reach out to them. So something that I've noticed and it ties into this is I, I have a lot of friends. And and before I actually say this, I just need I need to put a preface out there for the whole episode. No one is talking down to anybody. We're just going to state sometimes facts that don't sound good, but we don't mean it in a mean way. Uh, that being said, sometimes I have friends that, you know, they work at a convenience store or at a GameStop or some kind of retail position, which, you know, those are everywhere because people like to shop. And it, they, they are not happy with what they're doing in their life because they don't like the instability. They don't like the pay. A lot of the time it's the pay, right? Um, they have to scrape really hard to go to just one con a year. They can't buy a fursuit. They can't buy art. And, and a lot of the times they feel left out. And even though they have friends that they are kind of in the same boat, and they all are still in a not happy place. And a lot of the times you get that question of like, well, what are you doing to be successful? Well, you know, I want to, I want to have the same options you have sort of thing. And so, I mean, you've kind of come from that background, right? Haku? Yeah, I was actually, both my parents were high school dropouts. I grew up on welfare. Um, I had a, I technically was out of high school on my senior year. I actually had to uh, complete out of high school my, uh, in February of my senior year uh, because I couldn't, my, my whole family life was really messed up. But, um, now, but now you're a very reasonably successful I, person, right? I, I am happy with my, my life right now. Actually, very happy now. It took a long time to get here on a lot of effort, but it, I got here. So, oh, so Haku, um, can you please define success? Well, well, you know, the, the first thing what is you, success to you. I, I think with like in American culture, a lot of people see success as like, oh, this guy makes a lot of money. I, I don't feel that's success. I think success is you're content with your life. You know, you, you're you're kind of where you want to be. You know, I'm I'm in Seattle where I wanted to be with a lot of my friends and I'm really content. Um, you know, income is a little bit of a part of that because it does allow me to do things. You know, it does allow me to go see my friends or go out to dinner and stuff like that. But I don't need $800,000 a year to be happy. You know, it's so for me, success is just kind of being stable and, and being in a situation you like, you know, being happy. I, I think for a lot of furries, that that's the freedom to do what they want when they want to do it. Yeah. Within reason. I mean, obviously, I would like to have a private jet. <laughs> but <laughs> that's not within reason, right? Like, yeah. I'm not that kind of a person. But it's it's having the time off to go to the local meet or a con or something, right? Absolutely. I mean, um, I you know, having being being stable and having a little bit of income now has allowed me to chase some of my passions now. You know, I've, I've been able to do DJ stuff, which is stuff I've wanted to do since I was a kid and, and couldn't really do until now, you know? And so, you know, artistically, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with myself artistically now, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I searched the web with, you know, prepping for this episode, you know, doing the show notes and, um, you know, I searched, you know, success and oh my goodness, there is so much, 
you know, help things on how to how to be successful. There's so many different definitions because I, I, I really feel like that what is success is 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 really the eye of, of the beholder. But um, this is the definition that I ended up pulling up um, from the Internet. And this is actually very, very close to what you um, already stated, but it's um, success is the feeling that tingles of excitement about what you do, sticking with what matters through hard times, living a life you can feel proud of in retrospect. I love that. So that's super deep. Who said that? I don't know. <laughs> it's like Nixon or something. <laughs> <laughs> how to be how to be successful, Brannigan. <laughs> <laughs> So I know um, rule number one on the show is you don't say where you work, but what what kind of industry are you involved in now? Um, I work for myself doing uh, roughly e-commerce. And then also I do ha also have a day job uh, working for a company that I... I'm not sure how to say it, but I, I work for a company. I do, I do tech stuff for a... a You're a, an OT. Let's see, yeah, I'm in IT. I do programming for a certain company um, that you guys probably haven't heard of, but you've probably interfaced with. <laughs> that completely derailed <laughs> the thought I had next. God. Um, oh, yeah. So you say you work for yourself and you have a day job. Does that mean in order for success, you have to work more than 40 a week? And are you working more than 40 um, a week? It, that does happen with some frequency, yeah. Um, I my uh, Some of my longer-term goals, I'm trying to get to work for myself 100% of the time. And part of that is you know a sacrifice of my time where I absolutely do put in 40 hours a week. Um Earlier this year, I, when I was really trying to ramp stuff up, I was working seventy hours a week. Uh, that sounds it, exhausting to people. It though. was very exhausting, and it was it was affecting me mentally, and I had to to reevaluate some things because it wasn't good for me. Um, but you know, not not everybody has to go out and and work a zillion hours. But the the reality for me was I had to obviously balance a day job to make sure that I could stay financially stable but i also still want to still work for myself in the long run so it's just something i had to do is is you know add additional hours to my day so i mean i tr i travel out to las vegas for my 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 side work um that's where it's located at and so you know i lose some i lose some weekends and i'm you know i actually have i rent a bedroom out there now you know i so i basically live in two places now to to try to to juggle my my personal passions and trying to get my personal business off the ground so so Haku, um, how did you um, how did you measure success in working for others and um, working for yourself as well? Well, I measured success working for others is uh, part of it was enjoying what I do. Uh, even like my job, I really, as a software engineer, you know, I I, pro I get paid an okay amount of money to solve problems for a living, and it's really fun. Um, so on, I I enjoy what I do. But at the same time, also seeing the stuff that I do go out and positively affect people. You know, I have software that runs on Lyft. I have software that runs in Comcast. I have software that, you know, does all these little things and it's kind of cool. Um, so, you know, seeing just moving goals forward and people using the stuff I do and, and making, you know. You have programmer sickness where you like that difference in the end, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. You hand them a piece of software and it makes their life better. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, and I write, I write that stuff for myself. I write scripts all the time that make my own life better. So it's just like improving things and, and, and making people, multiplying people's effort, you know, and stuff like that. So you actually, um, you actually said one word goals. Yeah. So what goals are important to reaching success and how did you end up reaching your goals? So, you know, um, I didn't have a lot of, you know, especially when I was turning 18, going out of, of high school, I didn't have a lot of, of mentoring, no, not a whole lot of family to help me out. And I just had to look at what people that I admired were doing and how they got there. So it was a lot of me just observing and studying, um, seeing like, okay, this guy works at Google. And, and, you know, he seems really happy with his job. And young me is like, how did he get there? And a lot of it was me asking them directly, you know, hey, person I admire, how did you get here? And, and they, would, they would give me their path. And they're like, oh, I studied a lot. I, I learned this thing and I learned that thing. And those things were really hard. And it took me a, like a lot of study and self-effort and discipline and time to get there. So the, there's the, a good question, I think, that sits here, which is how, how hard was it at first for you to critique yourself and to give yourself honest feedback about, I suck at this thing and I need to get better at this thing to get to that goal? Um, I, I can speak for software engineering, but I, this probably is for just about everything. You, have to, you absolutely have to be honest when you're, with yourself. I have failed a lot, and a lot of it was my fault. It's hard for people, though, to say Absolutely. I sucked at that. People will run in terror from that. Yeah, and, and that, this is a problem I deal with some of my family. Like, some of my family is struggling, and they, there's... And I think everybody's like this. They You have a really hard time looking at yourself and seeing, like, there are some genuine flaws sometimes. You know, I, I know there's this self-esteem thing. You know, like, I feel I'm awful, you know, there's and I definitely have self-esteem things. But there's also stuff where people are sometimes overly confident about what they do they get penisy they get they get penisy <laughs> you know and, and this could be from from budding artists this could be from you know djs i see this in dj circles and all this stuff too is like if if you're trying to get good and you're not sometimes it's going to be your fault and and you have to sometimes listen when people throw out there the critique and this can be for anything um you know i you, you know, I've been, I, I get compensated well for my day job. And so I know that I'm doing well, but I still ask everybody, even when it's a, a person that's below me in pay grade all the time to, to, to evaluate the quality of my work. Because when I get that feedback, when someone's telling you something, they're usually not being malicious. They're trying to help you. And then you take that in and you improve yourself and you'll get better at that thing. I, I'm, I'm going to share my answer first before, so that way you have a minute to think about it. But sure. How do you how do you encourage people to accept vulnerability in in the form of failure and being okay with it? For me, um, I had there there's two points in my life that I remember very clearly. One time I was um, at I, I was at school and we were having a class and they were doing an icebreaker, and there was a hat with um, different things that you'd have to do charades of, but they were absurd. Like do your best Michael Jackson impression, be a rainstorm, like. Things where people would have to step outside their comfort zone, but we all did it together. And everyone took a turn being up in front and being stupid and sitting in the group and making absurd guesses. And it was really interesting because it was, I think, the first time I remember going up in front of a group and not feeling completely like, oh my God, I'm going to look completely stupid. 
because we were all doing it together. And that was an interesting thing for me. But the other thing that helped me kind of overcome it is, is, as cheesy as it sounds, is I really like Meet the Robinsons. If you're at this point in your life where you're not going to be in a class where people are pulling crap out of hats, go watch Meet the Robinsons. Because that really spoke to me in terms of, like, it's okay to fail. Like, it's better to fail more often and work on yourself and be okay with that failure. Um, uh, well, you know, I fail still fail you know the the business venture i did earlier this year i would say ostensibly was a failure um you know i the thing is failure is still education you still learn what does and doesn't work you know when i did my business venture earlier this year it i learned this was my first time going out and being a businessman instead of a programmer and i learned a lot about just business in general about like sometimes you build this better thing for them or at least i perceived it as better and you didn't take it you know, and, and it's all learning. It's, it's, I, I would still have done it again in retrospect. Um, the thing is like, even failure is still learning. You're still pushing yourself ahead when you fail. How did you get used to failure though? For the first few times, uh, remember your first big failure? Uh, my bir- my first big failure. Um, shoot. That's a really loaded question. Cause I could go like anywhere in my life. Right. Um, you can pick any one, but you know, there's always those defining moments, right? Yeah. Where it's I, like you, you learn to be okay with it. You learn to accept it. That's the, that's the point of terror, I think, for most people. They have to admit that they're human. You know, I'll, if, you, if you want me to be real, my first big failure was my marriage. I mean, if you want me to be real right now, you know, like I, I am, you know, currently living with a guy. You know, I'm living with Howie. And so I'm in a gay relationship right now. But my first relationship, I had a wife, you know, and had a kid from it. And I, you know, look back with some of the choices I made in that relationship, like I failed, you know, and I had to make some choices since then. But how how did you come to terms with it? How did I come to terms with it? Yeah. Did you just have a conversation with yourself and go, well, that's it. That's what I did. It it was, it was make sure like, again, I'm going to be real here. I was dishonest at points when that relationship was ending. I was not honest with a lot of people, even myself, but I was I was being a dishonest person. I was a, a lot younger. This was, you know, over 10 years ago. Um, We've all lied to ourselves. It's yeah, like but I've, I, I not only lied to myself, but I lied to, you know, my wife. And, you know, I make sure I don't do that again. I try to be as truthful in everything as I can be now. You know, as I try to be truthful and, and reliable. I was not reliable when I was younger. How long did it take you to come around um, to admit that you had lied to yourself? Was it, it a good while? It was a good while. It was a very good while. It took, you know, maybe I'm still recovering from that. I mean, it's been 10 years, um, but I've noticed better results happen with me in general when I'm honest and reliable. And, and those regrets. are two big things I took from that. The pain of regret is painful. So I love being the devil's advocate. That's why lots of people call me Lucifer. (laughs) So here's, here's the flip side of the coin here. So I've heard this term several times in the business industry of fake it till you make it. Talk to me about that. Um, I will admit 100% that I have done that. Um, a good a good thing is I used to work for a company called Dreamhost. Uh, some of you have probably heard of them. I think maybe you've even hosted content on there at one point. But um, I used to work Bluehost, at Host. Sorry, what's that? We're on Bluehost. Oh, uh, Bluehost, <laughs> the, the other the competitor. <laughs> they're 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 they were at a, at a, at a point you know Utah based too or something, weren't they? They, they still are. They still are. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel betrayed by you right now. I didn't know. Anyway, anyway, sorry. So you know, um, I was th- I was working actually as as 
a self-employed programmer, but it wasn't making a whole lot of money. It was ostensibly minimum wage. Um, and, but DreamHost had a tech support opening up, and it was like, you must know Linux. And at this point in time, I did not know Linux very well. But I put in the application anyway, and they're like, okay, we're going to interview you on this day. And I sure in the heck spent that entire week installing Linux, reading everything I could, learning all the commands, you know, not all of them, but, you know, just getting really, really comfortable and just studying for that entire week. So when I got to that, you know, that interview and he asked me some Linux questions, I could answer them. So I absolutely faked it for that resume. And then I rushed to, to solve the perceived problem (laughs) and I got that job, (laughs) you know? Um, So yeah, definitely have, have, have faked it before to, to get foots indoors. You know, I love that all this is about success and we focused more about our failures than than success. And I, I think that says something because really, you know, it's in order to be able to become successful is, is exactly what you guys are saying. You need to be able to fail yep. many, many times. And, it, and it's not. It, unfortunately, nothing comes easy. You, you'd look at somebody and you're like, oh, man, it's super, super easy for, for, for that person. Why isn't it easy for me? Um, you know, I actually watched a video um, yesterday that pertains a lot to this, is that unfortunately in life, you know, we weren't all dealt the same exact hand. There are some people that, that did get, you know, like, for instance, has um has all the money in the world to be able to get any education that they want to work you know and, and there's definitely people that are going to need to work a little bit harder to be able to get um where they're at like for instance haku you know you said that both of your um family members are not college graduates right they're not even high school graduates not even high school graduates so you had a really hard um hard hand that was dealt with you and you had to work probably 10 times harder than than some of the other people and you know instead of sometimes what ends up happening in life is we all focus on what um you know we, we focus on all these other people instead of just focusing on yourself and and sometimes that's what you have to do in order to obtain success is to look at yourself look at your failures and um you know don't don't necessarily pay too much attention to the people that are around you. I mean, you, you still have to look at the competition, definitely. Well, let's go ahead and go off to break. We have space news coming up, and then we'll be diving right back into our topic, which we'll be talking about um, for being furry in the workplace and building a resume. Hailing frequencies open, Smokescale Aquatus here with another round of news for you. As of Wednesday, November 8th, here are your space headlines. NASA is looking at ways to keep the cost of their next flagship-class telescope under control. No, not James Webb. That ship has already sailed. The majority of its cost has already been spent. No, this is the next one they're looking to build, W-First, or the Wide Field Infrared Survey Telescope. There have been changes to the design, including a larger reflector, which means a bigger spaceship, which needs a bigger rocket to launch it, and all of these things threaten to make it another budget eater like James Webb, if they're not careful. To keep it from spiraling out of control, officials are looking at stripping down the telescope's abilities to keep it more in line with the, quote, scope and complexity of its mission, end quote. Kinda sucks hearing an instrument that's supposed to help us detect dark energy is getting hardware removed even before it's built. 
but then it's meant to keep the astronomy budget balanced so that other projects don't get consumed. James Webb has clearly had an impact. There was a paper published recently by a French team of astronomers dealing with where Enceladus gets all its heat. For a time, it was thought that the core was warm because of radioactive decay, but that didn't account for how much heat we'd seen coming from it. Then it was thought that tidal friction could be the cause, the constant kneading the moon goes through as it orbits Saturn and gets stretched and compressed by the gas giant's gravity. But that wouldn't produce enough heat either. So after a lot of crunching of numbers and going over the data Cassini provided, may she rest in pieces, the team decided that tidal friction is indeed the culprit, but not all by itself. They've surmised that Enceladus has a porous core, which lets water seep in, heat up, expand, and rise in plumes through the rest of the icy moon's subsurface ocean. This would also account for the plumes of water we see erupt from the surface from time to time. You can bet that will be a subject of study if we ever get to send another probe out that way. Now, here's a bunch of headlines you can expect to hear more about in the November episode of Committed to Launch. The Large Millimeter Telescope in Mexico images the second oldest galaxy we've ever seen. Cosmic rays help scientists discover a previously unknown chamber inside the Great Pyramid at Giza. Curiosity shows off some fancy camera filters as part of its geological survey. The second-to-last Delta II launch carrying NOAA's next weather satellite has been delayed due to a battery swap in the payload. SpaceX is aiming to have Launch Complex 40 back online by December in preparation for the Falcon Heavy demo flight. China gets back on the horse with a Long March 3B flight after the partial failure back in the summer. ESA is studying how seedlings mature in microgravity on the ISS. And Ariane Space has a successful launch of the Vega rocket, putting a satellite into orbit for Morocco. That's all for this round. You can hear more about these and other things happening in and around space on the podcast Committed to Launch over at committedtolaunch.com. You can follow at LaunchCommit on Twitter. Until next time, this is Smokescale Aquatus saying, keep looking up, space fans. the ringmaster and you are listening to fur what it's worth wait put me back in the pinball machine Roo, tugs i'll get you for this And welcome back. We have fixed some of our technical stuff, and Rue can hear the soundboard. Rue, how does that make you feel? It makes me feel like I'm like special and part of the show again. <laughs> I can actually hear stuff. <laughs> Well, as it is time, usually, we must do the thing. Today's episode of For What It's Worth has sold out for 30 full seconds once again. We would like to thank our Patreon patrons who have bought time to hear their name on the air. And those people are... I'm going to start with the cheap ones first. I mean, low low donators first. (laughs) We always go the other way. All right, so... Starting at the bottom, we have Snares, creator of Meteor Showers. Thank you, Snares. Then we have Skylos. Skylos, it's your birthday. Happy birthday. It is his birthday. Say happy birthday, Rue. Happy birthday. 
Happy birthday! <laughs> then we have Swift. We have Booga. Then we have Guardian Lion, Loki Mutt, Cody. Can you believe Cody, of all the people in the world, still supports us? What? Cody yeah. donated? Wow! Yeah. Then we have Rifka. And at last place, we have the delicious, the wonderful, you should eat one today, the original Doritos Locos Taco from Taco Bell. <laughs> Who is it, Haku? <laughs> Locos Tacos. I love those. It's Tocos. Tocos Tacos. <laughs> Tokos is now a sticker in our channel-based sticker pack. If you want to see an anthro taco head, <laughs> join our Telegram group. I, I think it's. I think I feel that. Really, I saw, we're gonna do an anthro taco head. We have an anthro taco head now. <laughs> yeah, I saw it. Uh, it's for. I, I feel offended by it. Why? I'm not sure. <laughs> Well, if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash FWIW because we got the cool abbreviation before anyone else. It pays for the show. It does. We pay our hosting bills with it. We pay for equipment upgrades. We pay to split our studio. We really, really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you for all your guys' donations. We couldn't do it without you. So, back on topic. Indeed. So, what are we talking about now? All right, so let's talk about being furry in the workplace. Uh, we have some emails to kick this off, and I don't have them yet, Rue, so you can read the first one. Awesome. Okay, so it. let's see. This is from Perk. Is that how you say it? I'm going to say Perk. It's not Percy. Perk. Perk. Okay. I have five years of experience as a professional in the creative industry. Basically, it's a good idea to have a firewall between your work life and online life. I use this email for all my furry accounts. My real life has a separate email and separate social media accounts. While the fandom is pretty good and accepting, online background checks are a thing. And the manager hiring you in HR might get a bit weirded out, unfortunately. Also, on a more, uh, on the more con slash fursuit thing, it's a good idea to, to warn about lifestyle creep. Don't start spending like crazy once you get the first big paycheck. So, um, you know, just this first response, um, my personal, uh, I have so many different feelings when it comes to um, sharing your background with your, um, with your coworkers. Um, and I think it just depends on where you work. For me, my place, it's okay. Like I went and suited uh, for Halloween with a whole bunch of, um, because I work with people with disabilities and I help them out and, um, for them, it was an okay culture to do that. In fact, everybody came up after, and they're um, like the CEO of the company came and gave me a great big hug, and now he wants me to come back um, for Christmas to to help out and give out, you know, Christmas gifts. So it really depends on where you're at. If you're in the high end business place, you, you probably want to be a little bit more careful on who you share share things with. But I don't know. What is your guys' opinions? Well, I've been in actually quite a bit of a spectrum with that. So going back to uh, DreamHost, I, I, that was the first job where I decided to maybe try to be out about being furry. And at that point, in retrospect, that was a mistake. I was, uh, 
actually turned out that the person that was going to make the choice in promoting me out of this position was a goon from something awful. And at this point in time, that was really, furries were really frowned upon. And I learned uh, after I left DreamHost that that being a furry actually was what kept me from that promotion. Are you serious? Absolutely serious. No way! Yeah. Um, So, you know, because people talk. And so I had left the company and they started talking about me after the fact. And, you know, fortunately, I still had friends there. And I I, I found out retroactively that I was held up back from being a furry. On the other hand, the job... I got two jobs later. It was a a 150 person company and 20 of us were furries and we were all out at that company and it was fine. So I I think as, as we were saying earlier, it's kind of know your audience and, 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 and know when it's good and when it's bad. You know, this is, this is kind of a revisit of this topic, which we did, I think in season three or four, which is the whole online identities in the workplace thing. And it's interesting, but I, th- I think there's two factors in play. Number one, the overall tone of the sector you work in, right? Financial, those kinds of places, they're not going to be as open, progressively minded. I don't know what the word is, but open minded um, as, say, like IT or other things, at least in my experience. And so it, it, you have to assess the tone of where you're working in the sector overall, but then your workplace individually. My last job uh, my boss knew and like I'd be like oh I'm going to a furry con but I also treated it like you know it's a convention for people of, who like to get it together in costumes blah 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 and I related it to him I was like you know you'd go to places with your football buddies and have a convention to talk football wouldn't you and he's like oh yeah of course I go see it's just like that we just sit around playing nerd pretend but who cares <laughs> but but part of it but part of it had to do with how I delivered it too I didn't make it seem like it's this deviant thing it was just this is what it is matter of fact and then move on and he didn't care well, exactly. I actually had somebody reach out to me and they, they asked me again about the um, whether or not to come out to their family. You know, it, you don't come out about being the furry. Delivery. You, exactly. You don't <laughs> come out being furry. It, but it, it still is in about the delivery. If you want to include your family in on, um, you know, your craziness, uh, that's fine. Just don't come out about it and and deliver it in such a way kind of like what tugs was saying it's not a big deal it's a hobby it's something that you like to do even if you're a lifestyler you can just be like you know this is something that i like to do as long as you don't make it into a big deal they're not going to make it into a big deal that's my personal feelings but again know your audience uh i i have kept my furry lifestyle away from now that I'm a little bit older, away from my workplace, um, the current a, workplace. You don't put a banner up about it. Yeah. No, no, I don't. I actually work with another furry just out of coincidence. Like, I, I found her, and, she, and you know, I've uh, let her know I'm there. But I, I don't go, you know, I did maybe on Halloween go and dress up in a kigu, you know, and, and sure. that, that sign of stuff. But I, I don't, I don't, I'm not proactive about what what I do, you know, that I have a fursuit and all that stuff. But that's just me. Well, yeah, yeah, but I, I, I think that's not necessarily like what I'm advocating for. It's just one of those if it comes up in conversation kinds of things. There's a difference between they mention it and you talk about it for a minute versus you have to tell people about it. Like, it's kind of like, I feel like it's like meeting someone going, hi, I'm Tugs, I'm gay and I'm a furry. Like, I don't do that, right? It just is a part of the whole. Right. No, I agree. I mean, the, the, this is probably moving the topic a little bit, but, you know, like, for example, I haven't felt the need to tell some of my family that I'm gay, you know, and I know some some people are like that, that they have to tell everybody that this is a part of my life. And, you know, furries, for some people, 
being furry is like being gay. It's like you said, it's a lifestyle thing and they have to tell people and good on them, but that's not you, me. <laughs> you don't, but you don't come out about being furry. You yeah. just don't. You, it's a choice you're making, <laughs> you know, choosing which genitals you like is not a thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> by the way, well, you're a bicycle. But at the same exact time, you're running into another situation. If you completely hide it 100% from people um, and, and like, for instance, if they come out to you and ask you about it and then you just kind of like, you know, brush it off and you, you're hiding it, then it, it will become, I, I think my personal opinion is that it will become worse because that's what happened. Um, I don't know. That's what, what has happened to me. Um, and then they draw their own conclusions of what it is. I don't know. So I think we're all in agreement then. You, you should probably observe for a while before you make the call on even just having it, it be a occasional mention in conversation yeah exactly what you said you you don't just go up and be like hi i'm rue i'm a furry hi <laughs> you know so yeah I, I call it taking the temperature of the room i mean and that can go for not only just free but anything in life is sometimes you got to know the audience and, and, and decide what's appropriate but at the same time if you're in the elevator at a convention and people are asking you what is this about you know you you just let them know what it's about. You know, you don't just be like, oh, it's nothing. <laughs> well, yeah, you definitely, at that point, you, you're, you, you are the temperature in the room at that point, you know. <laughs> so, so you're like, yeah, well, you know, I like being a dog sometimes. And, yeah. <laughs> I, I always tie it back to Disney. I just go, you know, what? You, you've seen costume characters at Disneyland. Yeah, it's just like that. It's just a hobby, you know. Yeah, I do, the, I do pretty much the same thing. You and I get put on the spot a lot, though. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we definitely do. All right, so let's let's talk about resumes then. So, I let's let's I'm a, we'll start this way. I'm in high school, maybe thinking about my first job. Maybe I'm in college and I just need a job, or I'm tired of working the retail circuit, whatever that may be. Number one, the first thing I'd like to say is don't shop on Black Friday. Number two, <laughs> number two is let's talk about the resume. So. A resume is called a CV in Europe, and there's a slight difference. Do you know the difference between the two, Haku? I do not. Oh, okay. Oh, I thought you would. Um, I don't. I don't get much employment in Europe lately. So <laughs> well, you're just so smart. Uh, okay, so a resume is the North American, and I don't know if it applies in South America, but you're. It's a one sheeter, right? Of like, this is who I am. This is what I've done. This is my skill set. It's it's you on paper. In Europe, it's the CV is the curriculum vitae, which is Latin, but it's basically a little bit more extensive. So it's a resume with um, probably a lot more in-depth about your education, uh, a lot more in-depth about your achievements. It's almost like a little bit of an essay about yourself, uh, and it's typically a lot longer. So, huh. uh, yeah, but if you ever see send your CV or your resume, that's what they're, they're almost interchangeable on that. So I, I have a, <clears throat> I actually have a, question that i'm dying to ask actually you tugs so um and, and haku i don't know if you've ever been a manager before but um i know that tugs has been in a situation where he has had to look through resumes and accept and reject people mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you were looking for um well yeah so we're starting with the blank resume right so mm -hmm. um a resume that is more than than two pages, I'm not going to look at personally. A lot of places prefer one. I, I Haku, you've hired people. What do you think? Yes, I I, I have actually gone through resumes as well. Uh, in in my industry, which is you know IT and software engineering, uh, 
I would say one, two pages I've seen and been okay with, but once you get past two, it's, yeah. it's a little much. I, I personally shoot for a one double-sided page, and I always liked resumes that were like that. They were just, they, it, it's an art. You have to be short and to the point, right? Um, my, my resumes are even one single-sided page. So, I mean, obviously it depends on the industry for, for True. sure. True. Um, but personally for me, I've, I, uh, my resume has been one page, one side. And a lot of the resumes I get in this area seem to be that way too, but not always. Yeah, uh, but they need to stand out. So yeah. if if they're all if they're all the this just wall of text kind of thing, um, I'm not necessarily interested in that so far, right? So um, sorry, Red, I didn't mean to cut you off or anything, but I was no, it's fine. I, I was good. just going to say, um, you know, why don't we talk about building it from the ground up so that way people can do it right? Does that sound like a good plan? Well, and that that's what I was just going to say. So what are some let, let's break down a resume. What is within, what's in a resume itself? So there's a template that we'll have available. Um, I'm assuming you made this for sharing, right? And it is how to, or it's, a, it's, a, it's on the show notes page. Uh, you can feel free to pause and go grab it, um, but you'll be able to see what we're talking about. And the idea here is that you can look at it and potentially make your own resume out of it, right? Yeah, uh, this is a pretty basic template. I mean, people can always add their own flair to this, but this is a pretty... Okay. clean segmented template yeah so starting with the heading why don't you walk us through each area and what you would like to see so i mean the, the heading is just going to be your your personal information so your your first last name uh address often but not always address sometimes it, like if you're maybe interviewing to move they might want to know where you're moving from but and then also phone number and obviously email so anything they need to contact you to be like hey we want to interview you so all those avenues up there. Do you now when you say address, you mean mailing physical address? Because like I put my website up instead because I was moving. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, this is a great opportunity to do like if you're an artist, this would, could your website address would be obviously your portfolio, um, or if you're a coder, you know GitHub, you know anything like that. Uh, so personal website is fine because obviously your personal website's going to have your contact information on there. Mm -hmm. But in addition to I, have, you know, I like to see phone number and email at the bare minimum as well. Okay. So you got to be prepared to put that out there in the world. Yeah. Okay. And what's next? Um, the, 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 the second section here, I, I don't know what the formal name of it would be, but it's basically a, a blurb about yourself. Um, in this template, it's a little longer than what I would like to see. Like this is the headline equivalent. Right? Yeah, this is, this is, this is just a little quick. I would generally say one or two sentence like thing that that's going to set yourself apart from everybody else. Um, I kind of, when I go through these resumes, will kind of black out if they're much longer than one or two sentences. So there's an interesting question here, which is what's the difference between a headline and the summary? Because a lot of um, templates in like Word and stuff will call for a summary, which isn't quite the same. A headline is more just quick to the point, maybe the title you want to go after or very relevant to the job title, something towards it that's going to basically snap my eyes to that to tell me how you're relevant. Whereas the, the summary is going to be a little bit longer and more almost about yourself. So so let's let's do a quick experiment. Rue, you're just out of high school or you've been working at the seven eleven. What are you gonna put for your headline? Well, it depends on which position that I'm going for. Because each um each time that you apply, you you do want to typically, you know, change that that's at the very, very beginning. But um Make a general but if one. I'm so let's say that I'm applying for a customer service position. Instead of just um, generally saying, hey, I, um, I filled the candy machines at 7-Eleven. Instead, you want to focus on um, keywords, power words of, um, you know, customer service or providing um, 
sorry, I don't have my keywords in front of me, but you're mission focused, um, things that are pertained to that particular position that you're applying. So for. make one up for me. Just just make one up off the top of your head, and then I'm going to have Haku rate you. Oh, well. I'm putting you on the spot. Hmm. Hey, I, I, I'm going after Rucifer. All right, well, give me a position. Um, let's say that you're applying to be like an office assistant. Okay. So if I'm applying for an office assistant, I'm going to... Um, I'm really bad at these. <laughs> what? Sound effects. Sound effects. I like being anal. <laughs> All right. So what do you? What do you hired? <laughs> I'm hired. Yay! <laughs> so the headline is. What's your headline? I know, but I anal want- retentive, which for an office assistant might actually be a good thing. Okay, don't 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 listen to that advice. <laughs> okay, okay. So since we put Ru on the spot, let, let's Haku. You, what, what kind of headline would you would you evaluate and consider good here? Like an actual example for for an office assistant? Sure. Uh, you know, uh, hi- effective multitask, like highly effective multitasker. The organ the organization mm-hmm. thing would probably be in there too. I mean, I haven't been an office assistant before, so I can't really. I, w- I would probably put something in like um, highly organized, dependable, um, you know, something like assistant. De- uh, <laughs> something like assistant. No, something like which, <laughs> you know, office <laughs> organizational engineer. Yeah, highly organized, ready to go, office assistant kind of thing. That sounds like an okay headline. Yeah, you know, have some excitement in there too, like yeah. looking for new yeah, challenges. Or, uh, yeah. like, like you were saying, make sure that you use power words. Don't just be like. Um, I'm good with computers, and I'm I will organize all your meetings. You know, like <laughs> that's that's not going to work. You have to you have to use those. You have to fluff it up a little bit. The headline is interesting for me because I have not had to really really job search a whole hell of a lot till recently, and so the headline is is kind of newish to me. And I've been watching uh, LinkedIn Learning, and there was uh, I was talking about recruiters and like how it works and. Um, so one one thing I learned is that your typical recruiter, people who are going to um, you know get you in for an interview at a company, they only look at your resume for six seconds. You've got six full seconds to get their attention and really strike them. And the, and the thing is, is your headline is the is the single most important piece of real estate on a resume. And so having something that really packs in information and has a ring to it is really, really important to put there. So even if you've been working at the 7-Eleven, think about your skills, right? So did you have to organize the shelves? How fast did you have to be? What goals did you meet? You know, and how can you tie it to whatever position you're going for? So that's where the, you know, highly efficient, very organized, ready to ready to meet any challenge office assistant. You've got when keywords. You were, when you were um, at 7-Eleven, did you raise the amount of sales that, that were there? Like, did customers come to that 7-Eleven because of you. And a lot of the you know, a lot of the recruiter systems as well, they will search off the keywords in your headline. That is the single most important thing as far as placing you in the ranking just like when you search on Google. Yeah, like uh th- this is a little bit more once you have a little bit more job experience and like you're being in your career path, but especially yeah, you're going to probably learn really early on in your career path what keywords are going to start lighting up. Um 
you know, typical tasks. Uh, s- speaking from like software engineering, you know, you're dropping in your languages and dropping in technologies you've used and softwares you've used. And I'm sure this these, these key you'll you'll start to learn these systems even with other jobs. I'm sure. And you just you just want to pop those and be like, I used software X really well at my job, and and those will help light up your resume once you've you've started your career path. If you need some help, uh, one tool I found, and we're not getting paid for any of this, by the way, is um, there's a site called JobScan where you can put in the resume that you have and the position you're going for, and it will uh, tell you in the company because it knows oftentimes what uh, system they're using. And it will search for the keywords that would be used typically by a recruiter based on their data because they know a lot of that and how your resume stacks up against it and give you a score. And you get so many scans for on the free tier per month. So you want to use them wisely, but it helps you kind of tune your headline uh, and your summary. So I think it's about we've spent a lot of time on headline, but it's important, right? So should we go to summary? Well, I was going to say additionally, uh, LinkedIn uh is is find, finding people in that similar sphere of where you work uh you can look at your like your maybe your peers resumes because everyone's resume is basically on there and you can start you'll start to notice patterns with words a lot in the field that you're in and you can even use linkedin it's a little bit more you know it's obviously not as fun and ad, uh, automated as the thing you suggested but it's still totally free so it actually um on their page here they'll scan your linkedin profile oh that's cool yeah that's really and neat. they'll optimize it yeah. for you so yeah, no, um, I, I structured my LinkedIn to be just like my resume, and that's important to a recruiter, too, is what I've learned. Yeah, I've done that as well. Yeah. All right, so summary. Uh, the summary, uh, you might hear a different advice for this, but the for what I look for personally, uh, the summary is going to be pretty quick and short. So, one, you know, two sentences or so that's just kind of about yourself and maybe what you've done that's relevant to the job. So, um you could you can label stuff you've done specific to a job but i guess it's just more of a general i'm good at these things kind of of how important are numbers and metrics here uh in my field in software engineering very like we actually that is that is highly recommended and i i can probably say for most jobs if you can define with hard numbers how you've affected the previous job that's going to look really good How how do i do that as a retail worker i've worked at gamestop uh, well, uh, GameStop, for example, if you've, you know, maybe reduced the time it took to do inventory or helped sales, like if I increase sales X by doing Y, like if you can quantize what you've done and, and what, how you did it, that's going to look really good. Sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes you don't have a lot of control over that, though, especially in a retail environment where like the workflow is controlled by the computer for the most part. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in that case, what do you do? Do you just say, uh, I, I hit the monthly associate metric for six months straight or exceeded it by 10% for six months straight? Like, what do you do there? I, I would imagine sometimes that's all you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, you can always, uh, I'm just thinking cause a lot of people, you know, they work at home Depot. Yeah, I, you know, I, I've definitely had the, I've definitely had the retail jobs where I, I couldn't go off track too much with what I did, you right. know, this is by nature of the job. Um, but you can still exceed expectations. And so obviously, uh, if you're getting any sort of reviews, at your job, uh, which I hope you are, even if it's retail, you're getting some sort of review or feedback from your managers, that that kind of stuff you can use, you know, getting positive reviews, uh, mystery shopper metrics, sometimes you're included in those and you can uh, be, you surveys. Can, yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. I mean, any any job where you're interacting with a customer, there's generally some sort of customer satisfaction metric, uh, that sort of stuff. So so but, any sort of feedback, hopefully you could use to to bolster as but whatever you end up putting there you, you will want to make sure to to make it you know to the point make it simple 
and I, you're and, selling yourself like, and, and uh, yeah and understandable too because maybe someone might know what's not you know some anagram metric from taco bell what they use you know is like champs or something like that like someone's not going to know what a champs score is jargon yeah so you got to make sure that you 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 explain like that it's a, a, a metric of, of what what that metric is you know clearly I think one of the, something that that you're hitting at here, which is important, is you you can't assume that anyone's going to have context as to what what these metrics are. So you have to write your resume in such a way that it could be picked up and read without being able to ask or ask you a question at all. They're not necessarily going to call you. They're probably not if they have a question. I don't know what champs is. Bye. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's the challenge. Even you know, I I go through resumes and I and I still have that challenge with mine. Is so, like I have to really figure out what information is important because you got to be to the point and still get that information across. And that's pretty challenging. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about experience. How far, uh, as far as the amount of experience do you include on a resume? Um, like how long? Uh, for for me, I've I'll, I'll I'll I tried to include as much of my job history as I can on that one page. Uh, it was you know early on in my career, I only had one job that was relevant. Like try to include job history and experience that's relevant to the job you're applying for. Um, that's important. So obviously, I didn't include my Disneyland experience on my DreamHost application. I, I, you know, stuff like that. So, uh, so you tailor it. You, you, you definitely want to tailor it as much as you can to every job you apply for, because obviously, different jobs are going to look for different things. And when you read that job posting, oftentimes you can take the keywords in that job posting and throw them in your resume. But I, I try to keep the as far as the complete experience goes. I try to just keep it to whatever one page is, and. I, and now I'm to like the last three or four jobs. I'll do the last maybe three or four places I've worked and then a couple tasks in each. One of the challenges that I've run into is sometimes there's tangential but related experience. Like I've owned companies. And so I want to show that I have leadership because, you know, if I want to be, say, a project manager and do I put that or do I not put that? And what I've what I've learned, I, I learned a lot from this LinkedIn seminar. It was fantastic. Uh, what they were saying in there was, um, you you want to have uh, you want to shoot for at least five years minimum of experience, and you want to list just the stuff that's relevant. If you have extra space, that's when you can put tangential stuff. Um, but it's yeah, hard to have extra on space. mine, I, I yeah, on mine, it's a relevant skills, and it's at the bottom, and it's basically just a bunch of keywords. Right. Yeah. Right. So the structure here, it looks like it's title, company, and a date, um, and then there's a city and state. So is that is that pretty standard as far as structure? Yeah, that's uh, that's what I do on my resume, and it's it's pretty clear and obvious, and you know easily parsable by the eye. You want to make sure that the person scanning this resume can snap to parts that are relevant. Um, so obviously the job title in this example, it's you know bold and underlined. Uh, you can do whatever you want to make it stand out. It doesn't have to be bold and underlined. But when I looked at this, you know the sample is like my eye snaps right to that that job title. Do you think? Do you think the bullet points are needed? Um, I, I personally use bullet points uh, just because it makes the each data, each bit of data relevant, but it doesn't need to be there. I've, I've read resumes that are little tiny paragraphs, but they are a little harder to parse. My, my experience has been that bullet points, especially for the um, recruiter level, they're more of an executive level. They, executives just love numbers and bullet points. It's just a thing. So bullet points with hard data, like I did X, Y, Z, responsible for ABC, outcome of one, two, three, 
like right there, bam, 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 bam. You don't have to parse like you're saying this paragraph. Yeah, that's and and this and this is speaking mostly because lately I've been hiring people that are a little bit more senior instead of junior, and so I my expectation is I need to just see what these guys just what they got done. Um, so so for for my field for for technical stuff, you know, I you know did did this person. Uh, add this much test coverage to this code base. Oh yeah, that's good. Uh, so, so it's for, for me, it's easy. It's more parsable with bullet points um, or at least sent or at least sentences that are quick and separated. So I can read them at a glance really quickly. And I think there's a, especially I'm thinking back to my GameStop days, my retail days. I didn't feel like I had a lot of, of data, but data is important here, right? Like numbers. You want hard numbers. Facts. Yeah. They're, they're completely, completely relevant. Um, I would imagine that for an artist, this might be a little different, you know, so it does depend on the field, but for, for software engineering and for it, you can, there's always numbers. You're, you know, just the nature of the business you're, you're pushing numbers around and how much did you help raise revenue for this product when you worked there or lower defect rates with your bugs or write software to fix this problem and had 20% customer satisfaction rate improvement. Like there's the, the, like a lot of businesses are driven by numbers and you can usually take those numbers and, and save them, put them down on a sticky note when you're on your job and save them for your resume for later. Um, def, it's, it's just a little bit more, it is absolutely more of a challenge when you're starting out. I, you know, I've been there. So it's hard to say like, oh, you know, I had uh, a 100% mystery shopper score at Disneyland for four years straight. Yeah, that doesn't, it's it's a little harder to get some of those things out of out of a out of a retail or other space, but you can kind of do it if you if you dig. Right. It's it's interesting and difficult. I think when I was young, I want I I felt very I felt more emotional about my job than I do now. Where like you know once you get that track record, it's easier to just look at the numbers. But when you're young, you're like, please love me. You know. Right? Does, do you remember <laughs> yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. And so um, one thing I I wish I had done when I was younger is. Put a Google Doc, make, get a special, like those little tiny notepads people write on that they keep in their nerd pockets, whatever it is. <laughs> um, and when you get an achievement, write it down. Because when you're at the, when you're looking for a job, that's not the greatest time to think back six months and think, what was that that I did? It's easier if you have that ongoing record of things that you've done well. And things, and honestly, if you're really, really wanting to improve and get that skill set, write down things that you didn't do well for whatever period of time you're referencing. So like, oh, this week I didn't meet this goal and then next week you can show that you met the goal like you work on it it gives you a little bit of hardened data that you don't have to remember but it also lets you track improvement if you go that extra step you can say you know what increased productivity over six months and you know was at full speed then i got to 120 percent or something like that so next we have education so what are some of the things that you put on um, your resume about your education. So uh, this, I didn't get this out earlier, but I am not a college graduate. Um, I'm not either. Yeah. So, so for this, so the education, if you have it is important, obviously, and it should go there. Um, it, as you're, as you've been more experienced where you have hundreds of years of experience, like I do, it doesn't need to be as prominent on the page. Um, but it is, it is vitally important when you're just getting out of college. So front and center, basically it it's, you brought it, you've touched on, on the nerve of, I think what everyone argues about, how can I get experience if I don't have experience? Well, I'm glad you asked me. I feel you've asked a, a, a an experienced person on this one. Um, <laughs> but, but that's, well, the reason the background for that is because I had friends that were getting PhDs, right? Yeah. And I was, I was in my first couple of semesters of college 
And they had finished, and they had these massive bills, but they were working in the same department I was, making the same wage I was. And so for me, I said, at my young 18, 19-year-old self, I was like, no, I'm not going to go to college. I'm going to invest as much as I can in experience, do whatever it takes to get that experience, right? Some people have to take a chance on you, but you usually have networked a little bit. You've learned, hopefully, by then that you got to just meet with people, have good business relationships, and sometimes you can get those seeds planted. Absolutely. Um, I still, even even with that, I, I still recommend, you know, if you have an opportunity to go to school, you know, I, I think it's great as well. You know, whatever you need to do to get to the path that you're on. I mean, it, school definitely helps out as far as, um, you know, being able to go to an employer and being, but it, you're right. Experience does weigh a lot more. Um, I don't know. That's my opinion. Yeah. yeah I don't want to, I, I need to be, be careful with what I say because uh, obviously it depends on the field. Absolutely. 100% true. 100%. So you can't, you can't just get experience and be a doctor. Correct. So, so, <laughs> so I, I may be making statements that come off as blanket statements and I really don't mean them to be, but this is just an opinion and it's not meant to be derogatory. Please. If you yeah. have a problem with what he said, write us. <laughs> don't <Yeah>. write him. <laughs> um, the greatest lie I was ever told by my family growing up is that I had to go to college. So that's my opinion. That's my opinion. Um, for what I needed to do. Um, there are certain fields where you absolutely have to 100% and there's no thing around it, but you don't, the artists out there, you don't necessarily have to spend six figures on art Institute. You know, you don't necessarily have to go be a PhD in software engineering. It really just depends on your situation. I, I think my, my opinion on it is it is a very young industry compared to things like banking okay. and medicine things like things things where people can be harmed incredibly directly you have to have that that degree you have to have that certification but a lot of a lot of more nascent or always creative industries almost you don't right like you you could get away with it but it depends on where you want to go and additionally too there's also electricians and plumbers and that sort of those sort of fields vocational skills. that are vocational skills and that's something germany got down really well for example is that in germany um, when you're going up through school, they can kind of identify what kind of career path you want. And some of them go to college and some of them go to vocational schools and learn actual vocational skills. And so it's not always college, but you're going to have to get skills of some sort coming out of high school, but it's not going to always be college. Sometimes you're going to be self-taught. Sometimes you're going to go to vocational schools and sometimes you're going to go to college. So for, for your industry specifically, then I think, and a lot of furries, I think do want to go to it because a lot of us are already there and yep. the internet's a thing. We all play with our phones. Where can someone who has no computer science skills whatsoever, where can they, where would you recommend they start? So we live in the first time in the history of humanity right now, anybody who has internet access can go and learn just about anything. Everything I do, my, my entire paycheck, it was all stuff I taught myself from online. So you listening to this right now clearly have the internet because you downloaded this podcast. <laughs> so you have the resources to go teach yourself everything I learned. I'm not special. You know, you, you can do all the same things I did to get here. Um, it took, you know, a lot of effort and a lot of asking for help and a lot of practice, but I got here and you can do the same thing. Um, and it just starts with what's the thing you want to do? You know, a very popular thing is I want to go make video games. 
you know, I, I was once foolish like that too. <laughs> well, it's natural though because you know a like, lot of people love video games. Yeah, so why not do the thing um, you love? That's what I started with, and you know, uh, it wasn't for me, but it might be for you. Um, and I, I just started asking. Like, I had friends that were making these little chat room battlers in AOL a hundred years ago, and I was like, "How did you make that?" I'm like, "Oh, I started with Visual Basic," and you know, I went and tried to teach myself visual basic and then i made a little chat room battler and then i learned i wanted to make a and then i wanted to make a tile-based pokemon game and so i went and started going to game websites and there's there are game dev websites out there and started learning these game engines and this was all in high school i was 17 doing all this you know just 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 how did you do this and asking people and there's communities out there and websites and and there's a lot of there's a shocking amount if you look for it there's a shocking amount of direction out there for 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 you it's just what thing do you want to do and then you go and there are experts posting about thing and they're almost always ready to at least help you and give you directions about thing so top three places to pick up programming um, I enjoy Code Academy. Um, that one's a pretty good one. And that's not Academy; it's Academy. Code Academy, yeah. Um, that one's pretty good. I, some friends of mine have had complaints because apparently there's some skill jumps in some of the levels, um, but they they have attached help forms and that that sort of thing. So Code Academy is one of my favorites. Uh, I believe they have JavaScript and I think they have other languages now, but yeah, they do. So, so JavaScript was one that, that they originally had that I was recommending to everybody. Um, shoot other resources to learn coding. Um, that's tricky because I haven't learned coding in a while. (laughs) You know, um, I mean, I've, I, the, the language you want to learn is like, obviously you want to decide what language you want to go to first and then it kind of goes from there sometimes they don't even know what language though so yeah exactly so anything Codecademy will offer pretty good stuff um, I like Code School and if, cool if, if you have the money Pluralsight is, is also really my work good. pace my work actually I have to do 60 hours of training from Pluralsight before the end of the year for my day job so Pluralsight is excellent but it is not cheap no it is not it is not but it, but it's good. Um, other things sometimes um, you'll get those deal a day sites. They can vary, but they often will have um, teach yourself coding bundles that you can always keep an eye out for if you if you're more budget conscious. Yeah, and, and with enough searching, there's there's free resources out there on coding um, if that's your thing. And if you're not into coding and you want to do more hardware stuff, there's plenty of stuff like how to set up. I mean, not hardware, but software stuff. There's plenty of stuff how to learn Excel, how to learn you know setting up Linux. You know, there's learning Excel is pretty good too. Excel, Excel is is demon magic to me. It's yeah. it kind of is. Okay, we're we're running short on time, but um, I know we kind of moved from education into technical skills altogether. Do you have anything else to say on the technical skills section of a resume? Um, technical skills are are you know obviously direct keywords relevant to the job. So if if I'm applying to 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 a site that does Java, I'm going to put you know that I know Java and maybe some relevant Java frameworks on there, and then soft you know re- adjacent softwares like Git or whatever, um, just just keywords directly relevant to to the the job you're posting for at that moment, which should change from resume to resume. All right, Rude, do you have anything to add before I read the last email and we go to break? Uh, no, go ahead. Okay. He says this is from Will, who does not have a fursona yet, but he's working on it. I hope it's a cat. <laughs> he says, hello, everyone. I've been a fan for the last month and just recently decided to join the furry community in depth. The podcast is wonderful, and thank you for making it. Well, thank you for listening. Resume writing can be a pain in the ass. One of my best tips I can provide is to use resume templates. Seriously, a lot of colleges online, usually under the career section, have free professional templates. 
make everything past tense and make use of that thesaurus so not everything is I did or I worked. As a college student, one of the most thing useful things I've done is put in a few of my large-scale projects into my resume. I don't put the entire thing in there, just a description ranging from one to two sentences. Don't make your resume too different, though. I was taught by a career coach, I think that's what you call him, that unless you're going for a designer art position that you shouldn't go too far. That's for me, unless you're going for an acting job. Don't do headshots on your resume. <laughs> unless you have LinkedIn. Uh, also, make your self a template cover letter as you're applying for professional careers it is likely they are going to be similar fields if you snag that interview also write a thank you letter to whoever you spoke with random tip if the job is in the area you're thinking of moving to and they want to interview don't be afraid to ask for a skype interview a lot of places may not opt for just the phone which can be annoying fortunately nowadays webcams are not too expensive snagging webcam short notice can suck especially if you're only working a part-time job go get that job signed will thank you will I think that's some pretty good advice. I don't really have much to add in my response. Anyone have anything to add? No, that was just good, solid advice, really. Okay. I think that all of it's great. Okay. Well, then, I think it's time for our last break. So we will go back. Or we're going to actually have an old-timey ad, and then we'll come back and wrap this up. You're listening to For What It's Worth. Brought to you by For What It's Worth Brand Pants. Yes, For What It's Worth Brand Pants. It's that time of year again, when we eat too much, drink too much, and sleep too much. Your wardrobe is crying out for relief. Why, I can hear it from all the way over here. It wouldn't be crying so loudly if you had just bought some For What It's Worth Brand Pants. They stretch to fit any occasion. I dare you to try them on and not say, I'm glad I got into your pants for what it's worth. Or if that is making you uncomfortable, you could just give your money directly to these silly people. How? By contributing to the Patreon campaign. Just go visit that newfangled World Wide Web and surf over to patreon.com slash fwiw. There are plenty of reward tiers available, and soon there will be a level that lets you apply to join the Furry Cabal. Just remember, there is no Furry Cabal. This message brought to you by the Furry Cabal. For what it's worth, brand pants. Get into ours today. And now for the secret message. Six, five, eighteen, five, eighteen, five, thirteen, eighteen, three, nineteen, twenty-five, twenty-two, twenty, nineteen, seven, fifteen, nine, twenty-four. Good luck. Hello, and welcome to Get Psyched with Dr. Nuka. What comes to your mind when I say the word conformity? Maybe you think of the derogatory term sheeple, describing people who mindlessly go along with whatever the masses are doing. Maybe you think about fashion fads or trends and people spending money trying to be part of the cool group or maybe you think about stories like george orwell's 1984 where powerful norms dictate your behavior or else the point is regardless of what specifically comes to your mind the term conformity probably has a negative connotation for you it's probably something you wouldn't want other people to say about you and yet research suggests that we all conform 
even those of us living in Western cultures, where we glamorize independence and look up to those who do things their own way. We conform surprisingly often. A social psychologist by the name of Solomon Ash demonstrated this more than 60 years ago with an elegantly designed study. The premise of the study was surprisingly simple. You, the participant, are sitting at the end of a table. Beside you are seven other people, who you assume are other participants in this study. In actuality, they're all actors, in on the ruse. You and the actors are given a simple task. You're all shown a line, a simple black line against a white background. This is the target line. Beside the target line are three comparison lines, labeled one, two, and three. One of the comparison lines is much longer than the target line. A second comparison line is much shorter than the target line. The third comparison line is exactly the same length as the target line. The researcher then asks everyone at the table the same question. Which comparison line is the same as the target line? The answer is obvious, three. And sure enough, one by one, everyone before you gets the correct answer. Three, 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 three. Your turn. The answer is three. What an easy task. It happens again. Another slide, more lines. This time, the answer is two. And sure enough, two, 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 two. Your turn. The answer is two. Over and over again, this happens, and the experiment is seemingly straightforward. And then something really weird happens. On this particular trial, the answer is clearly two. You know it's two. You can see it in black and white, directly in front of you. You get ready on your turn to say two, when suddenly you hear everyone else answer. One, 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 one. Your turn. What do you say? You know the answer is two, but seven other people have just agreed that the answer is one. Do you, like them, give the answer you know is wrong? Or do you go against the group and say the answer is clearly two? the answer that you know is right. When he ran the study, Ash discovered that 75% of people would at least once knowingly give the wrong answer to the question. Let me say that again because it bears repeating. 75% of people would call a long line short and a short line long just because everyone else in the room was saying it, despite the fact that the right answer was obvious to all of them. These weren't naive participants. They weren't dumb, they weren't sheep, they were people just like you and I. They were people whose behavior was driven by powerful situational forces and our evolutionarily driven instincts to fit in with the groups around us. Even so, the implications are terrifying. If most people will go along with a group's blatant lie, even when there are absolutely no consequences for telling the truth, what do they do when there are real consequences for standing up and doing the right thing? What do they do when the right answer isn't staring them in the face? And how do we resist the urge to conform? Fortunately, psychologists have studied this. First and foremost, there's tremendous power in having another dissenter in the room. If even one other person breaks the group's consensus, people are half as likely to conform. Another factor that matters is being allowed to privately or anonymously dissent. It's easier to push back against the group when no one knows it's you doing it. But we already kind of know this. It's the reason why we vote in private, so no one else can exert peer pressure on us and get us to vote in line with their group. And finally, we can resist conformity by publicly declaring our position 
before the group's position is made clear. If you state publicly that you believe in X, while the rest of the group tells you afterwards that they believe in Y, you're far more likely to stick to your guns and keep believing in X, if only to appear consistent and not look like a hypocrite. So what does this have to do with the furry fandom? Well, since furries are a social group that's important to many of us, the opinions of the furries around us have a lot of power to influence us. If the furries in your local group decide, for example, that they all dislike a certain artist or fursuiter or just another furry, it's easy to find yourself jumping on the bandwagon along with everyone else, without even realizing why you're doing it. Likewise, the furries around you, or even the furries you chat with online, can have a powerful impact on your political beliefs, your taste in media, your attitudes towards sex and pornography, and even toward the fandom itself. This isn't necessarily a bad thing, and it ultimately depends on whether or not the beliefs and behavior are changing for the better. But at very least, it's worth knowing just how powerful group pressure can be, so we can be no under, under no illusions as to how vulnerable we all are to conforming. The take-home message is this. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Being able to recognize when you're being pressured to conform can help you employ tactics to resist conforming when it's necessary, whether it's finding others who dissent, finding a way to anonymously dissent, or simply committing yourself to your position before others can change your mind. But above all else, recognizing how susceptible we all are to conformity can make us all just a little bit more understanding. Maybe the next time we see a new furry going along with the group, we can avoid calling them a mindless drone and instead ask ourselves what we can do to help them realize that sometimes it's okay to push back. Sometimes it's okay to dissent from the group especially if they think it's the right thing to do. This has been a quick look at the psychology of resisting conformity. I'm Dr. Nuka, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time on Get Psyched. And welcome back, yay, we're back. <laughs> so um, I actually had a question that I wanted to ask before we jump back into the next segment of um, interviews. And I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, yes, I'm going back to the topic of education because um, Voss actually brought up some really great information about education because he's currently studying to be a pilot. And so I wanted to turn a little bit of time to him for him to give his feelings as far as education. Well, hello there, everyone. Uh, I just guess just because what you're going back, there are certain skills and vocations that are required to go to school. And I don't want to feel like anyone's getting pushed out if you're in college. Hey, just stop what you're doing. It's not worth it. But to continue and help go through your degree, finish, and then maybe you'll earn that couple bucks more just by having that lovely piece of paper. But just remember that you may not have the do the the job after your degree but it'll definitely give you a good foot in the door to get that interview so what does your boyfriend do uh he's a heavy haul mechanic and as a heavy home mechanic like um does does sometimes he have individuals that come in with a degree and what happens usually uh, it goes offset because his his big old thing that he had to deal with a lot it's in his last job he, since he just got a new one, was 
there was an engineer who had his degree and was above him and got paid a whole lot more than him for doing the exact same thing. So um, what, tell us about like your education. Like you're, you're studying to be a pilot, right? Yes. yes. So can you, with, with all of your experience, would you be able to go just jump in in a, in a commercial airline and even if you had like tons and tons of years of experience? Uh, then you still wouldn't be able to because it's federally required that you go through a Part 61 or a Part 141 or a Part, uh, I can't remember the other one. I'm going through a Part 141 program, but it's federally required that you go through a training course and get a degree that you are cleared to go through this. You could fly as much as you want with your family and your grandparents and go but you wouldn't be able to just go out and take the test and get a license. So I guess I guess what my point is is, is um, stay in school, guys. <laughs> like don't don't just jump out of it, especially if you have all this debt. I mean, like I don't know. Like finish your degree, get what you need to get, and then you know work on the experience. But just don't feel like that you're going to jump out and you know have that amazing job. But it, it's I actually think- pretty rare that that actually ends up working out. Like. I think you're dead right, Rube, because, like, IT, like, I'm of the age where, like, the internet and stuff and all that stuff has, hadn't been formally established. So being self-taught at, on, in that timing is fine. But, like, nowadays, I don't think you could pull it off. You don't think so? No, I, I think, that, like, if you're, if you're 21, people, I think, would expect you to have the formal education. But we have the benefit of a head start with experience. Yes, Uh, I would also add the caveat that school matters for some stuff, especially comp sci. So school matters a lot because you you can get you can get a comp sci degree and be completely lost once you're done. So I mean, school matters for uh, probably any job too. So do your research. And 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 you know, in the technical field, I mean, pretty much, and in the art field, if you know the stuff, you know the stuff. If you're a good drawer, like if you can actually draw, um, like you're going to be they're going to be able to tell you you like when you submit your application even if you don't have a degree and you're able to draw these um amazing picasso paintings you know that is your experience that is your resume that is your education you know like i I don't know does that make sense but if you go through like what i'm working through in social work um in order for you to be um you know, a psychologist or a behaviorist, you have to be able to have those degrees to say that you actually know what you're talking about when you're working with people. So. Very true. All right. Anyways. So let's, let's talk about interviews then. So um, you have built your resume and you have said, oh man, for what it's worth is awesome. I got a great resume. Thanks, Haku. And, <laughs> and they call you and they say, hey, we'd like to have an interview with you. Let's talk about that. So what are the do's and don'ts, Haku, of, uh, of the basic interview? Um, obviously, you got to be positive and you can't really. Uh, the, a big one is to not uh, for lack of a better word, crap over your previous manager, you know, or previous work. You got to be generally positive about what you're doing, and um, you got to be genuine and be yourself at the same time. Uh, I mean, they're generally interviewing your personality as well, so you got to kind of be yourself, or else you might not be a fit. This this sounds like a good opportunity to use the phrase creative differences. Creative differences. Yeah, the I manager mean, and I had some creative differences, and I decided to go another way. You know, when someone asks, "Why did you leave your previous job?" I'm looking for new opportunities. 
you know bam i mean it's a little bit of a platitude but that's the answer i get all the time i'm not going to really press it i i i I too have left jobs because of me being unhappy i'm not you know everybody's gonna kind of understand um but it will i i will i would ding you doing an interview if you're like my last manager like was just a jerk and like you start bad mouthing like your old manager and that's kind of showing some attitude issues, you know? So you generally want to come off as positive, but yourself. And if you're a generally negative person and you want to be yourself, that's going to be a problem. You should work on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go so, in with with RBF. Yeah. <laughs> so let's rewind just a little bit. Um, one of the things that I focus on, because I'm, I'm, I'm going to interviews all the time because I'm my, my title is Job Placement Specialist team lead. So I'm always working in, you know, teaching my individuals job development skills. I'm teaching them how to succeed in an interview. And the number one thing that we we teach them is um, what you what you do at the very beginning. You know, it starts with how you look. So what's some of the appropriate things to um, like as far as your dress, your body image, your attitude, what are some of the things that you should should do at the very beginning of your interview? Uh, oh, make eye contact, smile, um, dress. It, it, it depends on the job, but dress yeah. at least business casual is almost the, the lightest you go. Some jobs might be a little bit more crazy. but I just I have to say this because I just thought of it, but one thing that I've noticed as an interviewer, I don't care how fancy your shirt is. If you're wearing goddamn sneakers... <laughs> That's a that's a ding. Like, okay, <laughs> buying nice shoes for an interview is something that like I get not everyone can do, especially if you're working at a at a job that pays minimum wage. I understand. Go to the Goodwill, borrow shoes, don't wear sneakers. Um, you've seen this haven't you uh, that being said i'm gonna come out right now and and listen to tugs so listen to tugs first of all (laughs) however in my field in software engineering you will even me i've interviewed in sneakers so so listen to tugs shame on you (laughs) but but i'm just sitting here laughing because i'm like the last three interviews i've had i've worn my sneakers but would you would you okay did you have the option of wearing other kinds of shoes i i I, you could have i could have why did you choose the sneakers then because i i I know i know my field so that's that's a little bit of it it's a little bit different formalities in my field so it was me being comfortable with what was going to happen so again when in doubt if if it's something new to you dress nicer than less nicer for sure yeah it'd be slightly overdressed than underdressed yeah i mean you'll you'll see what they're wearing when they interview you you know yeah i mean uh i give i give interviews in a t-shirt and jeans but and and, uh, And that's your prerogative though but that is my prerogative i'm i'm allowed to do that yeah Um, but that is not obviously every industry so the other thing too and i think it's the unspoken truth but i decided when i was doing interviews um is i would actually start the interview and break the ice because i want them to feel comfortable because it's hard to interview yeah as i would i would say hi i'm tugs introduce the other people shake hands i go we are going to be judging you and we'll talk about you when you leave (laughs) (laughs) and like like, you could instantly tell like how they based on the reaction how the interview was gonna go like it would instantly make them comfortable or they would be like oh my god like (laughs) (laughs) you're a horrible horrible person for doing that but that's amazing no i would love i would love it if an interview did that like it, it would be amazing, but at the same time, I could see how some people would like be like shitting their pants almost. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it's true. I just simply said the truth. 
awesome. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that would definitely put me at ease. Um, what was the question again? <laughs> so, selling yourself, I think. Right? Selling yourself. What was so, the question? do you do you ever um, research your um, the companies before you go into an interview? Yeah, I mean, I'm that, guessing you probably research the company even before you apply, but. Um, I would hope that, yeah, even if you're that type of person that's kind of just spraying resumes everywhere, at least know what you're getting into before you go walk in. Because um, they might ask you, what do you like about this company? And that's kind of one of those hooks that's going to be, what do you know about this company? Um, so absolutely research what you're doing. Uh, I've turned down job offers before because I've learned a little bit more about a company. Um, so sometimes you'll find out that it won't be a fit for you culturally. Not everybody can work at Nintendo, so your Nintendo history knowledge is not going to get you the job there. Man, I'm really good at Pokemon, though. (laughs) But but it's true. I I did an interview at an Indian casino or Native American casino, my bad, and um, I researched the tribe before I went in for the interview. Just in case we had some time to just shoot the breeze, I could say, no, I took a little bit of time to look up what's going on here. You know, stuff like that. So I think that um, some people, they, they forget that in an interview... It's not just about them asking questions. You have to ask power you have to ask power questions. I always tell my clients that you need to ask at least three questions that um, you know it, it helps to show what they're that you're interested in the company. If you just sit there and just answer all their questions but don't ask them questions back, you're not going to get hired. So you know, really think about your questions that you're going to be asking this company before you go into that interview. I mean, don't don't go in with a wooden presentation by no means, you know, be flexible, but kind of know what you want before, you know, stepping into that interview. So like, a, so, oh, I was just going to say, so one of my um, favorite questions to ask is, what is your company values? Or like, do you enjoy... I mean, this one's very generic. I don't use it very much, but I hear a lot. Do you enjoy your work? Do you enjoy this job? What are some questions? Because both of you have been on the other side of the table interviewing people. What are questions that you have um, received that have have made it so that you remembered that person? Um, I like the types of questions where they're kind of poking at my, my ego a little bit and massaging me. So, so like one of the favorite ones I was ever asked one of the the the, the was uh, what was the one of the hardest tasks you ever solved at this job, and then I got to sit there and be like, well, I had to I had this huge problem and I myself me fixed it on my own and it, and it felt helped me boost my ego as an interviewer a little bit because he was fluffing me a little like what did you do what's your hard thing you solved here that kind of stuff so so I like those kind of hooks sometimes too. For me, there's one distinct moment that I will never forget. Hopefully, unless I lose my memory. Um, I was doing interviews and we didn't have the greatest pool and there was this very, very, very um, soft spoken. Um, you could tell she was very intimidated um, woman and she was from India and, you know, she was in, in Utah and you could tell that she was worried about fitting in and stuff. She just had a lot of cultural, cultural shock almost. And she, she did, she, you know, she answered the question. She knew her stuff, but she, she did what we later called the boss move and it landed her the job. Which is, we asked her, you know, do you have any questions for us? And she goes, yes, I only have one question. How could I have done better in this interview? Ooh. And, Ooh. <laughs> right? And I was like, whoa. And I wow. had And I had someone from my team in there because she would have worked with them. And, you know, we were talking after and he goes, that was a boss move. 
I can't <laughs> believe she asked that. And so I, I have stolen that strategy and use it now. Where it's like I, I'm gonna I'm gonna totally steal that now. <laughs> right? Like, like now now it's gonna be something everyone does, right? But like I will never forget that because I was like, whoa. <laughs> I'll I'll be the I'll be the contrary. I mean that's a really good one and probably works for ninety nine percent of the jobs because I would even be like whoa. Um, for for some places like Google Google and like Facebook they they just won't they just won't. That's part of, that's the whole point is they won't give you that feedback. So it kind of sucks. Yeah, there is some companies the way that it's set up um, is it's a panel of people and they will not give you any sort of feedback whatsoever. It is very dry, and they they do it on purpose. To what um, end? They just want to they they want to be able to gauge and give people the same equal opportunity. That's that's what some companies say. That's why you have to ask and, that question at the very end. That way, there's no more conversation afterward. It's 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 a hard one. It's it's a hard one. Yeah. So is there anything else, Haku, that you can um, give as far as tips or advice on being able to land that interview? Because uh, honestly, like the resume is what gets you in the door. It's important. But after that, the interview is what will land you in that job. And this is your moment to make it or break it. So what are the tips that you you would say is important for somebody to, to say or to have? within that interview um you- just be you got to make yourself pop you know pop out a little bit i i try to use humor in a lot of my interviews uh I, when when asked for cover letters i generally try to make them pretty humorous um you know i, I try to crack jokes obviously this takes practice um you, you gotta get good at dad jokes you gotta get as as an actual dad it comes easy to me but um you know there's 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 just things to make yourself memorable and and i find that humor generally does that really well obviously it takes some some practice <laughs> and you gotta know again you gotta know the audience and, fig- and and know what's appropriate for an interview so don't be doing you know naughty jokes at an interview unless it's for <laughs> unless you're interviewing for a porno yeah yeah, yeah. Um, which well, I interviewed for. I interviewed for a porn company before, and sure, sure enough, I was cracking jokes like that. But, but <laughs> I didn't get the job either. Were but. you interviewing to be on the camera? No, no, no. It was a programmer for a, actually a well-known porn site, and I didn't get that job though. Oh. <laughs> so some people could say that um, you know humor in an interview is a sign that you're nervous. Do you agree or disagree? Everyone's nervous in interviews. Uh, or you should be, you know, like, uh, I, I, yeah, I would, I would agree. That's, that's my coping mechanism for sure. Um, it, but I'm not going to hold anyone being nervous against them. I just, just as long as they give an effective interview, if they're stuttering or, or look nervous, that's sometimes okay if they're answering the questions correctly. Um, but yeah, I actually agree with that a lot. I see for me, I, now I recognize that I am not in the, going to give the typical response because I do this. And I know how to perform in front of an audience, which is a skill that takes a lot of development. I'm more concerned with the interview than I am, I would say, nervous. I'm not going to have crazy anxiety about it. Sure, I worry a little bit. When I'm there, though, and I'm talking, the time to worry is done. The time to shine is then. Just like when we prep for a live show, it's almost, it feels a lot like that for me. But I recognize that most people don't do podcasts, so. (laughs) Yeah. So after you land your job, after you've landed, you're, you're in that job. Um, you know, how, how, what's next after that? How do you 
how do you move up within the company? How do you, I mean, I, I know we can do a whole show about this and, and we'll revisit this topic, but uh, just give us a couple of tips on, on how do you move up within your own company? You, you never stop learning ever, 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 never stop learning. Um, you are going to exceed your peers by doing the things they don't want to do and taking on tasks slightly exceeding your pay grade. Um, you know, a- ask your manager to take on some work that they don't want to do. I mean, uh, there's always going to be tasks that your manager doesn't want to do that they're happy to, to send to you. That could be, you know, that little path track up. Um, there's, there's, there's always, you know, uh, I have a, a, a junior programmer at my work and he asked to take over some of the stuff I'm doing. I'm not a manager. I'm more senior, but I'm more than happy to let him do my work so I can go focus on the hard stuff, you know? So there's always stuff like that. Every every job is always going to have a particular task or set of tasks that just get under your skin and bug you. I don't care what the job is. There's always going to be that crap you just have to do. Yeah. Right. And that usually I found making, if that makes or breaks you is will determine if you get that promotion. A lot of the time. Do you have a good attitude about I, it or not? Yeah, just be proactive. I think one one thing that helps is making yourself indispensable and and having them know it. And yeah, you, know, you can't come out of a dispenser. Have them know that, you know, when you're gone for a vacation, like take a vacation after you've, you've taken on all these responsibilities and, oh, they're going to see really quickly on how much that you, you do. And, That's um, a power move if I ever heard one. It's a power move. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, it, obviously making yourself valuable is, 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 is great. And so if you're doing tasks that would be painful to replace, you know, oh, if you quit, we're going to have to train this guy for six months to do all the things you did. Yeah, that's definitely a good thing. When I worked at DreamHost, no one else wanted to do the WordPress stuff. I mean, I imagine everyone's heard of WordPress by this point, you know, and I was the one guy that knew WordPress in and out at DreamHost. And so I got everybody's, you know, tech support tickets for for the WordPress stuff. And I grew at that. And then I became indispensable at WordPress. Um, So, I mean, there's there's always stuff other people don't want to do. And sometimes if you're the one that does it, you make you make yourself more valuable and just always stop learning, adding more stuff to your skill set. Just always, always add more stuff. Um, Even to this day, I'm always learning new things. Call it Lewis and Clarking. You Lewis and Clark that shit till you get to what you need. Yeah, I mean, don't don't be complacent. You know, I I, mm-hmm. I, I still learn hard things every day, um, and that Absolutely. and that's how you keep on growing. And that I think that don't, applies to any job, really. Don't become a zombie. Like that's what they they it, at Cinemark they make everybody watch this um, this thing of this zombie apocalypse at Cinemark, <laughs> and um, basically they're trying to teach people that. You know, if you're a zombie, then you drag everybody else down in the workplace and everybody else becomes a, a zombie too. But anyways, don't be the the dead weight. You know, make sure that you are, you know, the one that's driving things. And put, if you're not in that power position, then put yourself in that power position. Find a way to be in that power position. I know it's easier said than done. But um, it will really help you to be able to move up in your company. That was a good final thought. Do you have a final thought, Haku? No. None? None? Um, as far like, I'm really, think about this for a second. Right. Because it's like the, the, the I'm still working at a gas station for right. who's listening to this. What are your final thoughts for them? Um, the thing is, you're going to always have goals. And you're like, I, 
even right now, I'm, I'm generally happy with my life, but I still have goals I want to meet. And so the trick is to have a goal, even if it's crazy, and break that thing down until you know how you can at least set your path towards that direction. Um, so, you know, I, I remember graduating high school. I was 17 and I had no nowhere to go. And I was sitting there on my bed crying because I didn't know what I was going to do. And then it was like, okay, what, what, what are all my peers that had these resources? They, you know, they went to college and they got these, these fancy six figure jobs and what do I have to do? And so it started with me, what job do I want to do? And, and work from there. It's like, okay, how do I become a programmer? Okay. I need to learn these things. And, you know, I didn't know how to program when I was, you know, just out of high school. I wasn't very good at it. And it was just these little steps like, okay, I need to do this thing. How do I get there? How do I get there? And so it's just basically always have a goal, always have an end goal and, and don't be complacent. And when you hit a goal, make a new one and just always move forward. I mean, life is much more entertaining and much more adventurous when you're always chasing something. I, I would, I, I agree 250% with that. Uh, I would also like to add some sage experience advice as my final thought, which is, um, I had a bitch of a boss. She, I hated her. I hated her, but she was also one of the best bosses I ever had because she taught me a lot. The, the first thing, um, is if there's not an opportunity, create one. Like we've been saying, look for those chances to take and offload some of that annoying work. It sucks to do annoying work, but if you do it, then you're appreciated more. You're seen as a team player. Um, creating those opportunities will often get you what you want. You just have to take a little bit of a risk. Um, the second piece is no matter what, while you're breaking down your goals, have fun, try and find the humor in what you're doing. If you have to alphabetize 62 different versions of Madden every night for your job, they're paying you to do it. So, you know, and when I say find the humor, I don't mean be cynical. That's not funny. Cynicism is truly not funny. It's negativity distilled out as funny and it's, it's fake, you know, just Find something funny. There's always something you can do to laugh, make yourself laugh. And if you laugh, your coworkers will laugh with you. Um, and then the last piece is you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail and you're going to get called in front of your boss one day. It doesn't matter what job you have. It happens. When that happens, don't make excuses. Don't explain why it happened. Just apologize and own it. If you do that, you gain much more respect from people because you're willing to own your failures and your successes. And those are my final thoughts. So our sound guy has some final thoughts. I would go along with more of that, of finding what you want to do and pursuing it to the best of your ability, researching, looking up, finding what it is, what it requires, and just doing as much as you can. And then once you get in there, uh, my last job that I just got, they told me straight up on the spot that the reason I got it was because I was a little, I had a little sass in there during my interview. And that was what sold it, that they loved it. And so that's what got me the job. And I've been enjoying it ever since. So always just kind of don't try to keep stiff, try to keep loose and just enjoy it. And find a little, with what Haku said, try to just joke and have a little humor in it. It'll go a long way. Ah. You know, this is final thoughts. I know it's final thoughts. You already so gave yours. Don't kill me, Tugs. You already gave Don't yours. kill me, Tugs. I'm I have a question. How do you know, and maybe this will be for another episode, how do you know when it's time to move on? If your health is being affected, it's time to move on. If uh, if, you're gen- if you're dread going into work, it's time to move on. Yeah, actually, I've heard that the metric is if you go on vacation and you're coming back and you dread going back to work. You don't have a good job. Yep. 
Okay, that's all. All right. That was a great episode. All right. Let's, yeah. Let's do this thing now. <laughs> Have you commented on the site yet? It's time to be reminded in housekeeping. Koo <laughs> is like, what the hell is this? It's the Motel 6 jingle being remixed. Oh, is that what that is? <laughs> it sounded weirdly familiar, but I couldn't place it. <laughs> Rue, do the housekeeping thing. All right, so it's housekeeping time. That means that we're going to be talking about our cast. We love our cast. They're amazing. We have them on our legs. Our cast. There you go. No, um, oh. I want to thank Koru. He's amazing. And I also want to thank our lovely sound guy today, Voss. Uh, Koru couldn't make it today because he had um, birthday plans. It's his birthday. Um, Say happy birthday to him in the chat. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> and um, also I want to thank our wonderful esteemed guests for coming out. And Fire Breath and um, Tugs. For all that he does and puts up with me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. The next thing, of course, is comment on the site. We've been a little low on comments lately, but as always, when you comment, it looks like people actually listen to the show. So do it. <laughs> social media. We love social media. Please feel free to message us and um, tweet at us, and we'll make sure to tweet back as fast as we possibly can. Yep. At For What It's Worth. Search for For What It's Worth on Facebook or plus For What It's Worth on Google+. Plus. And so we also have Telegram. So if you want Grim. to, um, yeah, Telegram. If you would like to join us in our Telegram chat, please feel free to uh, message us on Telegram um, at at WineRedFox or just message us on Twitter. <laughs> or message you on Twitter. Yeah. Be- okay, people, fine. Well, you can do it any number of ways. If you you can send to I, at WineRedFox, you can send a Facebook message, you can send us a Twitter request. The one thing that we ask is that make sure your security settings allow us to add you. A lot of people lock them down with a lot of the recent doxing, so we won't be able to add you if your security settings prohibit that. So check it before you make the request. Also, if you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. Um, I find time and time again that you know, a lot of times people are having issues or problems. If they're having problems finding a job and they need help on their resume or, you know, interview skills, please feel free to share this episode. All right. And, oh, before I forget, we do have, I'm just going to go back slightly. Telegram, uh, we have a, a channel sticker pack. If you want to get the official for what it's worth stickers, you join our channel and then you get them. It's fun, and it's our Patreon perk for the season, so it'll be fun. Anyway, uh, all right, Haku, it's time for you to plug anything you're working on, things that you think are interesting, whatever. Uh, How can they get a hold of you? Are you going to join our Telegram chat? What's what's going on? Uh, I'm at Haku, P-A-M-F-E-R on Twitter. Uh, uh, what am I plugging? Uh, I have a DJ set at MFF uh, 2017 on Saturday at, I think, 10. Uh, if, you, if you like music, then come on down to that. What kind of music is it? It's going to be uh, like, well, it's dance music, so there's that. Uh, no, it's going to be Electra House kind of stuff. Um, so it's danceable. It's not going to be dubstep. So, All Although right. there might be a little bit of dubstep, but not a whole lot of dubstep. All right. Are you willing at this time to commit to Telegram, or do you want to think about it? You I can, can think go on to Telegram. Our Telegram chat? Telegram. I'm fine with Telegram. Okay. Okay. So, Tugs, what's our next episode? Tards. 
If you're a tar, then you can let us know. Why are you a tar? Okay, here's the thing about tars that I want someone to tell me. What, what What's in that extra body space? And why do you need that extra body space? More organs. What organs? More I don't organs know. means you're more human. <laughs> or tar, tar and yeah, but that's the thing. Why why a tar? Like I've never I've never understood it, but I would I would love to learn why. You know why why suddenly as an upright anthro character do you need a body? What's you know like this extra piece of body? I mean, when two legs isn't enough. <laughs> well. You know, those good old centaurs. And I, I don't know. I've never gotten it either. I'm I'm right there with you. That's why I'm so excited for this episode. So if you have any questions, we're going to have a tar here at, in the studio. And um, please feel free to ask him any questions that you want about what tars are. Yep. Okay. So unless there's any lingering advice, I think that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. So this has been Rue. This is Tugs. And Haku. This is Voss. And this has been... For what, For it's, what worth. it's worth. Say it. You have to say the show name. For what it's worth. Fenton <laughs> Post Production. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Tugs, you are the king of like dad jokes. Seriously. <laughs>